The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Malwedge. That blessed occasion that brings us together today. That blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. And love, true love, will follow you forever. That is how the clergyman in what I believe to be unquestionably the sixth funniest movie of all time, titled Princess Bride, kicks off the wedding ceremony of the fabricated and ill-advised union between Prince Humperdinck and Princess Buttercup. Uh, It's obviously a humorous jab at love and and our culture's disillusionment with with what love is. What what even is it, right? And so um, this is the fourth week of Advent, and it's love is what we're covering. So we've covered hope, peace, joy, and now we're addressing love. So it's a proper question, uh, even given that kind of a start. What is love? Um, what, what even is it? If you were to see it, um, would you know it? If you were to give it to someone, would you know when you did give it? Or if you received it, how would you know you received it? Uh, we got to kind of know what it is. Can it be measured? So let's survey a couple of society's uh, other sound bites, not just that one, um, but other sound bites on what love is. So most of you will have heard most of these. <clears throat> love is blind. Love never fails. Love is in the air tonight. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. This is our culture. Love is a battlefield. Okay. All you need is love. Love makes the world go round. Love wins. Would I rather be feared or loved? Easy. Both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. If you love them, you got to let them go. Love is unconditional. You've got a face only a mother could love. I love you to the moon and back. Pure love, baby, it's pure love. Milk and honey and Captain Crunch and you in the... 1974. <laughs> love is a many splendored thing. Love doesn't cost a thing. And then my personal favorite, love is love. <laughs> love is love. <clears throat> so... From, from this list uh, and these little sound bites, personally, I still don't have a clue what love is. I mean, it seems that our culture is very confused on it, um, and, and that's not surprising to most of us walking in here this morning. So what's the best idea? We should kind of judge sound bites from the culture with, with, uh, with God's word on it, right? So see, see about these quotes as well from our Lord. We love because he first loved us. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. They conquered him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, Israel, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So I think as I look at these two lists, and you could you know, make them longer on both ends, right? There's more sound bites from the culture and more you could find in Scripture about love. But as, as you just look at these just samplings, what I see to be the fundamental difference between God's love for Christians in Christ, through Christ, and that of the false love of the world is basically this. The world's love says something like this, um, your life for mine, your life for mine. And Jesus says, his love says, my life for yours. You could put it this way, it's sacrificial. What's the world saying with its version of love? I'll use your life to gain the life that I want. I'll I'll step on top of you to get where I want to go. I'll use you. And we'll call it love. How about that? That's kind of what the world says. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I'll give give up my life to get you the life you can't obtain without me. That's Jesus. So my hope this morning, as we look at the book of Ruth, and as we study the person of Boaz, is that you would see that in Christ, in Jesus Christ, God has wrapped his loving arms around repentant sinners. That's my goal. That's my hope this morning is that you would see that and you'd see it afresh from a a book that some of us aren't real familiar with called Ruth. So here's where we're going. We're going to look at six different benefits of God's love in Christ Jesus, Jesus's love. So they'll go like this and we'll just walk through them um, as we go, but, but just as a forecast on the front side. Jesus loves protectively. Jesus loves abundantly. Jesus loves wisely. Jesus loves sacrificially. Jesus loves courageously. And Jesus loves incarnationally. So there'll be six. Turn over to Ruth chapter 4. And I'm going to read the, the last portion of, of the book because it's really the backdrop. So we're going to draw some things out and stay consistent with the context. But we want to focus on a couple things about Boaz and see how he can help us see Christ in this Christmas season. So Ruth chapter 4, we'll read through verse 17, 1 through 17. Boaz went to the... Uh, went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, uh, I can't redeem it, myself, redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. 
take my right of redemption because I cannot redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Boaz said of the elders, said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. The neighbor, the neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Um, in 1977, the Star Wars film, it was the first one, A, a New Hope, Episode 4, was released. It was the first of this saga that has captivated the imagination of Americans for, you know, 40-plus years now, right? Um, well, th- at this point in time, this is Episode 4, so we're already entering into a little bit of an issue because you're jumping into the middle of the story, but this is the first episode that you get to see. And so at this point, the galaxy is in the midst of civil war, There are some rebel spies. These are the good guys, by the way, if you've watched the movies. Um, These rebel spies have stolen the plans to the the Death Star, which is the Galactic Empire's incredibly powerful ship that's uh, capable of destroying entire planets, right? So this is is Star Wars. And so at this point in the story, Princess Leia, this is episode four, Princess Leia... She's one of these, uh, the rebellion's leaders. She obtains these plans, and she goes on to you know, provide hope, and the story carries on from there. But this is episode four at this point in time. And what you get in this first installment, but really the fourth uh, episode, is you have kind of two questions arising and that are somewhat answered in this story. The first one's this, is there hope for peace in the galaxy? So that's what you're trying to, by the end of the movie, you've got to be able to say, yes, there's still hope moving on as you go forward. And then as the episodes kind of run out over the next couple years, the 80s, so on and so forth, then um, you have this question arise, how did they get the plans to the Death Star? Um, I mean, where did this even happen? Well, 2016, you have another movie that comes out and it's called what? Rogue One. Its entire existence is to explain how these plans came about, okay? So the second question is, how did they get those plans? Well, Rogue One actually answers those plans. And Ruth is a lot like that. 
on the, on the pages of Scripture. It was written at a later time, and it explains some gaps in the storyline of the, of the Bible literature. Okay, so you're, you have a people, more than likely it's written to the post-exilic or post-exile peoples after they come out of Babylon. This is pre-Jesus, but after the exile. And they're kind of going, what was happening in the time of the judges? I mean, this is the darkest, most wicked time, spiritually speaking, um, of, of Israel's history. And how did, I mean, how do we even trust God? How did we get to this point? Is, is he still... Um, is he still on the throne at this point in the story? And the, the answer of Ruth is a resounding yes. And so it's answering this question much like Rogue One is answering. This is the gap in the storyline. So you look at, at um, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, hey, this is written in the time of the judges, which is ding, 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 ding. This is the worst time in, in Israel's history. And then in chapter 4, what I just read to you, I think it's in verse 6, it says, this is how they legally bound um, you know, uh, con- contracts in this period of time, legally, as you just give a sandal over. So you, you get this idea of this guy's writing from a post-era, but he's writing backwards to be able to understand what, what was happening. Is he explaining some of these gaps in the story? And the gaps are, is God's promises still good? Is he still good for it? Does he have cash in the bank to, to uh, cash that check? Can it happen? And is, is Yahweh on the move? Is he going to still continue to be faithful with his people? We went into exile and he took us out. He brought us out of the exodus. Where, where was he in the time of the judges? And that's what Ruth is doing. So what is he? We sang already, I believe, two songs that had Bethlehem in it. Well, at this point in history, when Ruth and Boaz pop onto the scene, Bethlehem's nothing. It's not that big a deal. Micah's... Um, Micah's Prophecy had not come about where it says the Messiah will be born um, in this town of Bethlehem. Uh, David is not a thing yet. We see that at the end of the book, but in Ruth and Boaz, he's not a thing. He's a grandchild that's coming some way down the line. And so you don't know anything about Bethlehem, and it's explaining all these gaps. So who's Boaz? Boaz, um, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at him. We're going to use him like a telescope. You know the difference in a telescope and a microscope, right? The microscope takes something incredibly small and blows it up so you can see it. But a telescope takes that which is magnificent and far off and grand and incredible and brings it close where you can actually see it. It's at such a distance, you can't even understand it with with the human eye. So Boaz is going to be like that this morning. He's going to bring the altitude of divinity, Jesus Christ, and he's going to bring him down to us. That's what he's going to function like this morning. So I, I think it's helpful to know um, we, we read, or we, uh, Brandon preached through Luke chapter 2, portions of Luke chapter 2 last week. But what you see in Luke 2 is that Jesus, he grows as he grows in wisdom over the time of his life. And he's reading the Old Testament scriptures. And we're looking at what I imagine to be, he's looking at Boaz and he's taking cues, just like he's taking cues from Adam on how not to be. He's looking at Boaz and saying, this is actually a man worthy of emulating to some degree. He, he's a flawed character just like Abraham, Isaac, or any of the others. But Boaz is about as close as you're going to get in the Old Testament to like a real hero. And that's what we're going we're gonna to look at. So uh, benefit number one, Jesus loves protectively. Jesus loves protectively. Look at chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. 
So we read a good portion of the story, but we're going to just zone in on a couple of these. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Um, She fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? So Jesus loves protectively. What do I mean by that? In this position, if you notice, Boaz uses his position, his power, his provisions, and even his words to protect Ruth. He sees her economic and her physical vulnerability, and he uses his armor to armor her up. He protects her. He, he, he doesn't have to do that, but he chooses to because he's a stand-up guy. Is this not how it is with Jesus? Even more so. You as a sinner, you're far off. You're a foreigner from him, ostracized. And in Christ, he brings you near. He protects you. He uses his sovereign position. He uses his omnipotent power to say that which is unsavable his boundless provisions. He sends his eternal word to protect you from untold ruin. Uh, There's a preacher named Robert Smith, and he says, it's a thought project, right? But he says, I think we'll spend the first couple million years of resurrection life just praising God for all of the things that Jesus kept us from that we didn't even see. He's just hedging us in all the time, protecting us. And I don't You know, I don't know everything there is to know about being a father, but this is what I do know. If Abby or Levi um, were in in some distress or some trouble, you would have to put a mountain on me to keep me from them. And I'm I'm just a human father. Even if they had done the unimaginable, right? I mean, that's my son. That's my daughter. And and I would come to them. I would get to them. And the stunning thing about Scripture is it says that in Christ, God has loved you more than that. I mean, that is incredible. Like, I, even this morning, I've already preached through it in the first service. I still struggle. I'm like, I know that's true. God, help me feel that. Help me sense that because it's, it's what the Scriptures say. In Christ, He's loved you more. He's loved you better. He's loved you longer from eternity past, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Jesus' love is protective. It protects sinners that are repentant. Number two, Jesus loves abundantly. Jesus loves abundantly. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. At, the, at mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. Look at verse 16. He tells uh, his workers, his men, pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't, don't rebuke her, right? So this isn't just any old grain. This is the roasted grain. This is the good stuff. Okay, this is like the nice restaurant. And you can kind of hear the romantic music just kind of queuing up in the background. You're like, oh, okay, I see what's happening. You know, and that, that's kind of the point in the story is something's afoot. We don't know exactly what it is. In, in this verse 16, he, pull, he tells his men, hey, pull out some of the extra bundles. Just like throw it out in front of her so she can just grab it. Just take care of her is what he's saying. So he's providing for her uh, abundantly. He's protecting her. 
in, in chapter 3, which we didn't get into too much, Naomi tells her, hey, this is how you can um, propose, if you will, uh, and, and show yourself that you're available for marriage. You would like this man to redeem you. And, and she kind of constructs a not a great plan, honestly. Um, and, and then in chapter 3, he says, hey, um, I want you to leave before anyone can see that you know, one person from another is what chapter 3 says. And he's protecting her again. But he goes, before you go, I'm, gonna give you, I'm, I'm just going to load you down with a bunch more grain because don't go back to Naomi empty-handed. Okay? So he's always giving her and providing for her out of his abundance. Again, in the gospel, is it not so? Is Jesus not more than Boaz? Is he but a telescope to help us see that which is divine and how he has come and, and loved us? So in the gospel, he doesn't just forgive us, right? He's abundant. That's what's, it always blows me away and how I struggle with forgiveness and unforgiveness is I want to go, okay, well, we're cool, but I'm not going to put you in my graces or anything like that. But that's not what Jesus does. He, he doesn't just get you back to neutral. He gives you all the riches he has in heaven. And he goes, I'm going to give you resurrection life. Adam screwed everything up, and you have loved your sin. You've repented of your sin, and I'm going to give you the kingdom. I'm going to give you everything. And so he takes these trespasses that we have trespassed against him, and he charges us up instead with our heavenly account of all the blessings of God. And he, he's Emmanuel. That's what he does. He's going to be close to his children. He's going to be God with us. And when we didn't have any spiritual ability to save ourselves, to come to him, what does he do? He comes to us out of his abundance. And, and on the cross, he's, he's brought us near to him. That's what he's doing. Um, again, even how this comes to us personally, you think about this feeding idea. I mean, this is, this is a picture. It's a metaphor for how God has fed us all the way along. If you're in this room, it's because God has um, allowed you to subsist all the way to this point. He's fed you every day of your life. That's God. Every day of your life. More importantly than that, he feeds you his spiritual word. Your, your spiritual man is far more important, eternal, so on and so forth. And he's given you this church. He's given you a Bible to study. How many times has he provided for you and given you his word? So he's given abundantly. He, he loves abundantly. Number three, Jesus loves wisely. Jesus loves wisely. Turn over to chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 5. Jesus loves wisely. We won't read all of those, but did you notice uh, when I read it the first time how cleverly uh, Boaz presents Ruth's case to this unnamed redeemer? He's intentionally unnamed. Uh, it, you have Boaz, and he's given a name, but this guy, he just appears on the, on the screen of the Bible, right, and doesn't have a name, and I th that's intentional by this author. In other words... His line, his name is not perpetuated, but Boaz is because he loves sacrificially. Um, but he cleverly presents this case uh, wisely, cunningly, and he presents all the good stuff. He's like, hey, you can get this land, all this stuff, and then, he's like, and then he shows the, the, the small print. Oh, but you're going to have to take care of Ruth and Naomi and perpetuate the line and da 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 da, -da you know. And the guy's like, oh, man, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm gonna, that, that's going to imperil my own inheritance. I'm not down for that. And so he, he cunningly, wisely, you know, pursues uh, this woman, you know, and is extremely shrewd. So Jesus, even more so, he utilizes all of his heavenly resources, 
all of his wisdom, all of his power to come and get sinners like you. Ephesians 3, 8 through 9 says, this grace, this is Paul talking about this mystery of wisdom of God from eternity past. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. It's a mystery that God unloads to the world at just the right time. Jesus isn't late. He's not early. He is right on time. And it's a mystery in God's wisdom of how he has sought out the Gentiles and the Jews and all of and, and Paul goes, I can't even believe how wise our God is that he has chosen to come after sinners like this. So his wisdom um, is on full display in Christ and how he comes as both God and man to redeem man and reconcile man to God who is full of wrath. And he takes that wrath away by pointing it to himself on the cross instead of us. This is wise. How many times in your own life has Jesus delivered you by his wisdom? How many times has a sermon come at just the right time? Maybe it's a hymn and a song lyric or it's a word from another church member and, and Jesus shows up and wisely saves you from dashing your life on the rocks of the world yet again. He is wise and how he loves Jesus is loved wisely. Benefit number four, Jesus loves sacrificially. Jesus loves sacrificially. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10 of chapter 4. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. So in other words, Boaz draws this wide circle around Ruth, Naomi, and even Elimelech, his deceased um, family member, and, and says essentially, I got this. I'm going to care for this. I'm going to be sacrificial about it, and I'm going to give my life for theirs is the point. So he takes into his financial, his emotional, his reputational orbit, he takes on that which is not his problem. I mean, he could have walked away. That's what the unnamed redeemer does. He doesn't care. He could have. It would have been socially acceptable, apparently. But he doesn't do that. He takes them on sacrificially. He marries Ruth, a foreigner, in short, I mean, Boaz does the right thing. He's a noble guy. He's a good guy. He does the right thing. He acts like Jesus in this situation. It's almost as if Boaz, long before he could have read it, right? It's impossible, but it's like he had almost already read Philippians 2 in the New Testament, which says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. So Jesus loves sacrificially by saying, I'm going to take care of that which is mine. I'm going to go get those who don't, they're really not, I didn't sin against them. They're not my problem, but I'm going to go get them anyway, just like Boaz does. And Jesus leaves his exalted life um, on high with the Father to come and redeem you. Benefit number five. 
Jesus loves courageously. Jesus loves courageously. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. This is the unnamed Redeemer. The Redeemer replied, I cannot redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. So Boaz loves courageously, Jesus even more so. But look at this story. What, what does he do? I mean, essentially, Boaz is choosing of his own will to enter into the mess of Ruth and, and Naomi. That's what he's doing. He doesn't have to do it. But he imperils his own inheritance, is what the unnamed Redeemer says. And so Boaz chooses to do that, and he takes on the weaker in society and, and takes them in. How much more so Christ? Romans 5, 8 says, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he courageously runs after us when he shouldn't have. I mean, to put an analogy on it, you, Christian, church member of Liberty Baptist Church, you are a terrible buy. A terrible buy. You are the car on the lot with 300,000 miles on it, the door handle broken off, ripped seats, scratched paint, you know, muffler dragon. That's you. And Jesus walks onto that lot and looks at the salesman and goes, I'll give $50,000 for her. And the salesman's jaw drops. I'll give $50,000 for him. It doesn't make any sense. But this is the Bible's version of redemption. This is redemption. This is Jesus. This is how he is. You're a terrible buy in every one of us. And he still comes for us, and he courageously redeems us. Six, benefit number six, Jesus loves incarnationally. Jesus loves incarnationally. Look at verse 17. It was the last of what we read. It's the, kind of towards the end of the story here. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So the book of Ruth, as I've already mentioned earlier, it's written to fill in the gaps in the storyline. It's basically there uh, to help us as Christians and, and those who originally received it to realize that love really did break through. It got all the way through. And so that's why I, I titled the sermon, Love's Pure Light. The light broke through. It got through. I mentioned earlier when we were talking about uh, Star Wars, A New Hope, that there was the second story that comes about um, Rogue One, and there's these two questions that are kind of brought up by the first one, A New Hope, which is, is there any hope? Will there be hope at the end of this episode? And then the second one, how did they get those, those plans, those schematics about the Death Star to destroy it so that they would actually have real hope and peace could be restored to the galaxy? Well, so 40 years later, when Rogue One comes out, much like Ruth, right, telling us this backstory idea, it's basically filled with a bunch of just normal people just like Ruth and Boaz. They're just kind of going about their day and they're trying to do their best to get it done. And you've got Darth Vader in the background trying to destroy everything. Um, but they're doing what they can. And there's this scene, one of the final scenes, um, where Darth Vader doesn't, hardly shows up at all in Rogue One. And just for the record, I'm like a, not like a super Star Wars nerd, but it perfectly fit with this, just so you know. Anyways, neither here nor there. Back to the sermon. Um, so in, this la in one of these last scenes... Darth Vader does show up. He realizes, man, they've gotten a hold of these plans, and if they get out, then they've actually, they can penetrate our armor, right? And so 
it, this, this epic scene where there's like 20 troopers and about three or four doors, and he just starts slashing and hacking his way through all of them, and they get this retro, like, floppy disk thing, and, and they just keep passing it from one to the other and barely get through the door and barely get through the door and barely get through the door, and, and it just somehow gets there. You can't really figure out how. Like, it just does. And so it's much like this genealogy. I mean, how did it get there? And then it gets onto the other ship, and it's the only time you see Princess Leia in Rogue One, and she's handed this floppy disk, and the trooper, unnamed, just goes, what have they given us? And she says, hope. They've given us hope. And then you're off into episode four. I mean, that's what Ruth is doing. It's saying, how do we, how do we know that God's good for his promises? And you go, King David. In the middle of the judges, when it's the worst possible time immorally, and we're going, is God even around? Does he still love us? Did he promise us something? And then he went to another people group. What is going on in this period of our history? And, and this author goes, David, love will break through. Love is going to get there. And this isn't a failure. I haven't lost sight of you. I've always kept my eye on you. And there's this back water town that means nothing at the time, and there's a foreign woman, and they're going to come together, and the line of your Messiah, Jesus Christ, is coming through him. David is on the scene. So I, I rode around yesterday in a U-Haul trying to move um, uh, a swing set for my kids. Mallory has been kind and gracious, and I've tried to get a swing set for our kids for like two years, and I'm only about half handy, okay? I can get myself in trouble. I got the tools to do that. I'm not a great finisher. So uh, Travis Moses and Kyle Fauché went with me yesterday, um, and, and we were riding around, you know, dismantling this, um, you know, swing set and bringing it back to the house. And uh, I said, I thought in a moment, both of these guys have incredible stories about how love broke through in their own lives and how they came to know Christ. And I just said, hey, y'all tell, tell each other about your story and, you know, what you need to do is you need to have both of them or one of them, either one, over to your home and let them tell you their story. I can't go into both of them. But the commonality between both of them was they needed somebody. I mean, they're in a mess. And if someone doesn't show up, if love doesn't break through, then they're done. And their personal story is the same story as Ruth. It's the same story that Israel is asking, is God going to show up? And he did in Kyle's life, in Travis's life. And if you're a Christian this morning, he showed up in your life. You're in a gutter. You have no hope. And you're going, is there anybody? Is, is, is love coming? Is it coming at all? And so two days before Christmas, I, I just have some questions for you, for the believer and the unbeliever this morning. And, and I, just in the stillness of your own heart, I want you to a- answer these questions. And, and be honest with yourself, okay? Do you believe on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Lord? Do you believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Do you believe he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? Do you believe he descended to the dead and on the third day arose from the grave? Do you believe he ascended into heaven where he is now today, seated at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe that he will come again and judge the living and the dead? Do you believe he is the only means of receiving forgiveness for your sins, your only hope for resurrection of your body? Do you believe he is the only way for you to receive everlasting life? 
Here's what I've come to realize. When I would ask questions like that to Christians, your heart begins to rise. And you go, that's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my everything. I have come to love the clank of the iron on the nails that drove his beautiful hands into the cross. Not because it's a beautiful picture, but because it's a beautiful eternity that he gets me. I have come to bless the day that those briars were, were raised up and grown and groomed so that they could create a crown for my king. That's, what a, that's how a Christian responds to this. But if you're here this morning and you go, you know what, I don't know what you're talking about with this resurrection stuff. I'm just kind of here with my family because it's Christmas. Um, then, friend, I, I don't think that you're a Christian. And I would be doing you no service by trying to say that you are. So there is a Lord who, who harnesses all of history, every atom in the universe, and he is Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. And he not only showed up as a Lord um, who was ready to destroy those rebels who were against him, but he also showed up as a Savior willing to say, if you will repent of your sin, turn from your sin, then you can be joined to me. You can be in my family. You can be my child. And so that's what Jesus is doing. And it's on offer this morning. If you don't know Christ, man, then, then the pastors will be up here. You can talk to any church member out here. And they would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ if you don't know who he is.